Welcome in, listeners, to another episode of the Busby Babe podcast. I'm your host, Colin Dams, joined once again by Nathan Heinchel and Polly Questel. What is up, boys? Manchester United has finished second in the Premier League, and the vibes are sort of immaculate. <laughs> sort of? <laughs> it was pretty funny uh, yesterday seeing the Liverpool crowd being like, wow, we finished third. It just reminding me of how I felt last July uh, on the final day against Leicester when, you know, wow, three, teams, third? Yeah, three teams vying for that final top four spot. And uh, I have to say it was pretty nice being in a relaxed position of not having to worry about Champions League football the next season. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely pretty chill just watching the game yesterday and, uh, you know, just kind of vibing, just sitting on Twitter, no stakes, getting to watch the U23 team play. Yeah. Well, a couple U23 guys vying to make the Josh Harrop All-Stars. Um, <laughs> Ilonga put his foot forward there. Ahmad's not really a U23 player. That was a first-team signing. Hannibal, I, I think Ilonga's got a great shot at making it. Fans probably don't want to hear that, but let's be honest. You're gonna sign. You're gonna sign first. Your Manchester United. You have to combine between the, the academy and signing first team players, and most of your academy players don't make it. The majority that do, at best, turn into Jesse Lingard or Scott McTominay. Very few turn into Marcus Rashford or Mason Greenwood. Anthony Alonga. I've seen him play twice now, and he's good. He's bright. I don't know if he's got the staying power when you look at some of the other kids that we're excited about in the academy. I I have more feeling than not that, you know, in, in a few years we'll be watching him for some other club. Yeah, it's tough for him, too, because he's coming in at a position where we not only have, you know, decent strength already, but it's a position that we're looking to upgrade in the transfer market, apparently. Are you saying uh, that right, it's James so. Wilson? Yeah, he's in that category of James Wilson and Josh Harrop, and scoring scoring goals on your debut does uh, does not equal success, even if that goal gives us a really good chance of winning the league, and then a week later you come on against Sunderland and score another winner that basically wins us the league, you still might not have a future at Manchester United. Yeah, that's the thing, though. Our academy hasn't really given us I guess the Phil Bardsley, Ryan Shawcross type where, you know, you're good enough to play for a championship or Premier League team. So, you know, give us five million pounds or something. And send them yeah, on that's their way. where I, I mean, that's where Ollie is focused on when coming in. And, and there was an effort made in the middle of the decade because at the beginning of the decade, that was where the decay really went. When people talk about the Glazers and the decay and Old Trafford and Carrington, a lot of it went to the academy. It was the end of the last decade. We were churning out players. And we we were turning out players that could step in for two or three games when United needed them to, like Federico Makeda. And um, there are a few others that would be called on here or there. But we plenty of them, when you looked at the bottom half of the table in, in, in the year 2014, it was just filled with United Academy graduates. And that's gone away. Now you have to look to, like, League Two. Like, where's Cameron Borthwick-Jackson? Is, isn't he at like Salford or something? Like... It's not even that old, so we've got. James get, Wilson is at Salford. Yes, it's we got to. That's part of it. Is you're never going to. Not all your prospects are going to pan out, so you need to get back to the point of 
when your academy is at a high level, you're still not going to churn out Manchester United players, but you got to be. But if, if we're churning out players, then the ones that are at the top level will be good enough for Manchester United. If we're not turning out players, then the ones that are at the top level that look good in comparison, like your Tahith Chongs, are still not going to be good enough for Manchester United, and that's a problem. Yeah, and uh, Tahith Chong, he's still at, on loan at Werder Bremen, right? Yeah, um, he's not doing, not doing too hot. Yeah, he may be uh, a one going the same route of Angel Gomez, maybe a free transfer or low fee or undisclosed fee, uh, leaving the club pretty soon. But It's good. Um, I liked what I saw out of, out of Ilonga. It was nice. Um, we could take bets on whether Will Fish will ever make a first-team appearance again or not. Uh, so you're asking, will Will Fish <laughs> make a first-team appearance? <laughs> Will he swim his way into the first team ever again? Yeah, <laughs> he's certainly fishing for opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. But look, Mason Greenwood got chances because he belonged there. Ilonga's got chances because all he had to rotate the squad. Yeah. And what about uh, Hannibal? Hannibal got Hannibal got the okay. It's the end of the season. You played really well this year. We're gonna give you a shot. Shot. We're gonna let, we're gonna reward you with a debut, but you're not you're not there yet. He's not ready yet, and that doesn't that doesn't mean uh, he won't be. And it's the same thing for Ilonga. It doesn't mean that Ilonga won't make it. I have higher hopes for Hannibal than I do for Ilonga. Uh, next year, Hannibal will either be with the U23s or on loan somewhere. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping that he goes the James Garner route. He seems like the similar kind of player where he's in a position. Um, both individually and on the pitch, where you know United could use some extra depth in that area. He's creative. He's already comfortable on the ball. Um, I I think I'd like to see him out on loan, get a get a season of experience playing first team football in a professional league. And um, you know, yeah. where United get hurt is that there's there's no level between the U23s and the Premier League, and the Premier League is about three levels above it. So yeah. we've seen. Time and time again, players that are just dominate the U23s, but they're nowhere near ready for the Premier League. And you can't stick around all season to play in a couple League Cup matches and a group state match here and there the way James Garner did last season. It's just not enough playing time. And then when you go away, you go away on loan, it's great that like a James Garner gets to play all these games, but you'd also like to be able – to play him four or five times in the United show, like to be able to say, you know what, this week we're going to, you're going to be with the first team and it's either one or the other. Yeah. This is why we need to take the Red Bull route of club structure. We need to, you know, buy a buy team. Dortmund. In, yeah. Buy a team in Scotland and then buy Dortmund or something so that we can have, you know, multiple levels of quality of play to send our players and, you know, develop their talents. Still can't like recall them in the middle of the season though. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, you, you 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 really just need the Barcelona and uh, and Real Madrid route of our was, our yeah, Man United plays, be... plays in the second division. Yeah, and they can't get promoted. Yeah, it would definitely be beneficial for our guys to just like play against grown men here and there. It's always useful. Yeah, but um, other than that, I think uh, you know. The fact that we've had to wait until the final day of the season to play some of these youth guys is a 
fairly positive reflection on how our season's gone. Um, uh, like we said, we finished second place, and like Nathan pointed out on Twitter on Sunday, um, that did exceed our expectations from the season preview pod. Yeah, um, it just I, I I'm really impressed with how this year went, especially considering uh, we we didn't start well, you know, against Crystal Palace. That was not a fun game. Uh, to watch like right after we did that season preview pod. Um, I just, I, I really do feel like over the course of things, keeping everything in perspective, there was definite, you know, there's real improvement. Um, and there was de- an opportunity for us to see the things that are still clearly not working. I mean, McFred has had its time in the sun. Maybe we go get that number six that we really, truly need. Um, we, yeah, we've we, got sun fatigue. <laughs> We've got sun fatigue real bad. <laughs> yeah, and, and then we've seen, uh, you know, we've seen how important guys like Marcus Rashford is, and when Marcus Rashford's not there, we've seen just how important Paul Pogba can be when he's healthy. Uh, he's clearly happy right now, I think, so that's nice. And right now he's healthy and, he, and he's looked well. And we found out, you know, we still can't really uh, lose Bruno Fernandez for any string, stretch of time. So let's make sure that he uh, is put into a bubble suit during the Euros. Um, and we saw Edinson Cavani really come on after having an, a weird start because he had to, one, get match fitness, and then he had some some uh, here and there knocks. And then, of course, he missed a couple games for the um, social media incident. Um, but he really came on late, and he was awarded with another one-year contract. And so um, they keep talking about how United's looking at possibly bringing in Harry Kane. It just feels like not a good idea. Uh, he's going to cost too much money. And it's just like, let Cavani be up top. Let somebody understudy to Cavani and, you know, go get the positions that are still very, very clearly in need of upgrading. Still need a right wing, need another holding mid. Um, and we've seen other guys really step up in their positions that maybe we would have thought to address uh, in the transfer window previously, like a, like a Luke Shaw. So, yeah, I went back this morning and I looked at the piece that I wrote at the beginning of the season that was just gonna, that was just titled Manchester United are going to be all right. And I wrote it I wrote I wrote it because I wrote the same thing a year ago. And it wasn't about tooting United's horn and defending the summer that they had. It was at the time, remember when we started the season, everybody thought we were gonna be in eighth place or something because Chelsea spent two hundred million, so they were obviously going to win the league and win the Champions League. Um, well, they still might do that um, and be unbelievable and be up there with City and Liverpool. And ever and Tottenham went out and signed a, Hoy, a Hoiberg and a Reguon and a Gareth Bale. So clearly they were good. And I went back and, and just and I wrote this piece just, that was just because everybody's focused on what we didn't have. And that's why we were going to finish sixth. And, I, and the gist of the piece, it, it's refreshing to read today, not so much because it's oh, I, I saw this coming or I saw that coming. It's just logic. And, and what I looked at was, here are the problems. United have problems. Absolutely. So do other teams. Here's what other teams had. Liverpool overhit their metrics by a million years last year. They're going to come back to earth. Do I think that they are better than United? Yes. But they are not 98 points again. They're also old. They're, so their top players aren't going to play as well. They are also had incredible injury luck the last two years. That's bound to run out. Yeah, and, Virgil van Dyke isn't worth 30 points. Right. Um, they also 
a condensed season hurts older teams more than it hurts younger teams. So Liverpool are going to come back down to earth. City are right around where they are. And City had us the same. They what they get like five more points than last year. Yeah, I mean they're kind of they kind of fit that coming back down to earth narrative a little bit just because they didn't play you know the same sort of well they made themselves more boring they made themselves more boring so they stopped conceding goals and they were good enough to grind out and get one goal and win one nil and Tottenham Tottenham I was like look Harry Kane is great and I'm not buying too much from Gareth Bale and Gareth Bale had a great season when he played this year but he never played and what I wrote was Tottenham could be in the mix for the top four, but they also could completely implode. And I think the latter is more likely. And they didn't completely implode, but they imploded pretty well. And then they rebounded decently to, to snag that conference spot. Arsenal, we heard a lot about at the beginning of the season because Mikel Arteta was the next coming of of putting out cones for Pep and stuff. And I was like, there's nothing in the numbers that suggests Arsenal will be anything good this year. In fact, they'll be worse because all they did was rely on Aubameyang to bail them out last year. And this year he's not going to do that. And he didn't. And Chelsea, look, you got eight signings, which were great. And I, the, the funny thing was, I said that I questioned the signing of Thiago Silva and I questioned the signing of Ben Chilwell. Those were the guys that worked out for them, as did Edward Mendy. I was very high on Havertz and Werner, who were the guys that didn't so much work out on them. But you still, that's a different challenge in that you still have to integrate them all into the squad. And I did say Chelsea might realize that their biggest problem is actually Frank Lampard, which they did realize that. But you you spend all that money that, that didn't actually make them better. They finished with one more point. They They went one game further in the FA Cup. They are in the Champions League final. They were helped by a... Very kind draw in the, in the Champions League. They did not play a single away match in the Champions League. Um, that certainly helped them, but they took care of business and credit to them for doing that. You can only play the teams that are in front of you. When all was said and done, United had a young team that should have gotten better in just in terms of they had a full a full year of Bruno Fernandez, a full year of Paul Pogba. Mason Greenwood was getting better. Rashford and Martial were set to hit new heights, and they didn't. And yet, here, here United chugging away. They they made a few signings. Edinson Cavani started 13 games. That was the most first choice signing that they got. For was a guy that started less than two out of every five games. And here they are with eight more points, a cup final on the horizon. Same team. So that's, here's a here's and a it, question. And that's just logic of just hey like. We're going to be all right because as many questions as we have behind our team, the other teams have just as many questions. And, oh, by the way, like our manager's a lot better than you think he is. And he's able to work out these difficulties that came along throughout the season. So here's a question that might be influenced a little bit by recency bias. And two, a question that could be influenced heavily come Wednesday's result. The last time Manchester United finished second place which was the 2017-18 season, they had more points, they had less goals scored, but they also had significantly less goals conceded. Do we feel better going into next season on our second-place finish compared to going into like the 2018-19 season coming off of that second-place finish? Or are the vibes? 100,000%. Yeah, I'll that let Paul go first. Yeah. That season was the biggest smoke and mirrors you'll ever see. And, and Mourinho's kind of right when he said 
that that was one of the biggest achievements because that of his career because that team didn't deserve to be anywhere near second place. They were terrible. But part of that was Mourinho being and Mourinho not acknowledging that the reason that they were in second place was because David De Gea stood on his head and had a historically good season. The game against Arsenal is example number one. United should have lost that game like 8-5 and they won it 3-1. They, there were other games that season where De Gea, where United just they scored a goal and, and De Gea somehow kept a clean sheet. The expected goals for that team were terrible, and it wasn't a surprise in any way, shape, or form that a year later the floodgates opened and they couldn't keep a clean sheet because you can only do that for so long. So, yeah, this year we're conceding a bit more, but we're also playing more open. It's much harder. To, we are the one area where our underlying numbers have improved this year because – they really aren't too dissimilar from last year, which makes sense. We have the same team. You know, Donnie Mondebake did nothing this year, so we had a, a new backup left back, and occasionally Edinson Cavani came in. We, our underlying numbers for scoring goals and attacking and creating and shooting went up, and that's not easy. Very easy to bunker down and concede fewer opportunities and play better defense and concede fewer goals. Very difficult to go the other way, and we went the other way, and as a result, we opened up a bit and we conceded a few more chances and and shots and, and scoring opportunities. But the overall balance is much better. So you bring in the right players who could put out some fires before they start. And you can maintain this the way you play and, and, and creating more chances while not conceding as many. Yeah, I think... Uh, Polly hit the nail on the head there. With, with United just have a lot less questions going forward than they did at the end of 1718. Um, I also think that there was probably a four-year period where the Premier League was, in general, not as good as people maybe would have said it was between like 2014 and 2018. And then when Pep came into the city, he you know turned them into this team that was able to exploit all of that they're obviously very good uh Liverpool were on the up by the end of that season as well so the vibes were pretty bad at Man United because it felt like you know this was the turn for Mourinho where we're about to go into third season Mourinho and that's exactly what happened and those other two clubs you know started to take off now we're in a position where you know both of those clubs seem a bit more vulnerable we've bought well our team isn't as old and dysfunctional as it was at that point. And the team, uh, probably the biggest part of that is the team trusts the manager and is willing to, you know, fight to the end of the game for their manager. And that was not the case with Mourinho. He had already started, you know, butting heads with people in the second half of that season, notably Paul Pogba. And that sort of drama was a very distracting sideshow in the, at the start of the next season. And, probably evidenced how bad things were going to get. Um, I mean, look at the managers. This is from 2015-16. So this is right before Pep came. The managers that were in the league, Arsene Wenger, Eric Black finished the season at Aston Villa. I don't even know who that is. Eddie Howe, Gus Hitting finishing the season at Chelsea, so Mourinho was fired. Alan Pardew's at Crystal Palace. Uh, David Unsworth and Joe Royal are finishing the season at Everton. Ranieri, Klopp, Pellegrini, Van Gaal, Benitez, Alex Neal, Komen, Mark Hughes, Sam Allardyce, Francisco Guidoin, Pochettino, Kike Sanchez-Flores, Tony Pulis, 
Slavin Bilic. That's already a pretty diverse list, but uh, Tim Sherwood had gotten... Oh, Brendan Rodgers started the season at Liverpool. Tim Sherwood started the season at Villa. Gary Monk at Swansea. Alan Curtis also had a stint at Swansea. Steve McLaren at Newcastle. Uh, Remy Gard at... That's a diverse list, but already it's still just very bad. Yeah, and also a lot of very, like, conservative football in, in that list. A lot of conservative football and a lot of the same, you know, the Pulist, Hughes, um, the rotating, the British rotation yeah. is in there. So three years prior to that, it was way worse. This is already an improvement on it. And what we have now is just – it's so much better, the level of coaching that mm-hmm. – there are people out there that say we've only finished second because our rivals had nightmare seasons. Well, it's the second year in a row that these rivals had nightmare seasons. So maybe this is just the quality of the league. They're city head above the rest. Liverpool are also really good, but came back down to earth. And uh, look, Everton finished 10th. They have Carlo Ancelotti managing them. There's yeah. a, the middle of this table is very good. It's it's there were, there were a lot of teams this year, that aren't even close to Europe, but weren't even weren't close to the relegation battle. Like there were the the middle and floor of this league is just so much higher than everywhere else, and that's why for the last five years, um, like what's the joke about the Europa League semifinal? It's like the four semifinalists are Sevilla. Um, if an English team dropped from the Champions League, they're there, and otherwise it's some random team, and then the English team that didn't finish in the top four. Like, because the English teams walk through the Europa League now because five, six, seven in England is just so much higher than even four in another yeah. country. I mean, I, I was looking at this uh, for my master's thesis, but the increase in one transfer spending in the Premier League coinciding with the increase in television revenue, which is almost tripled, I think, over the last 20 years uh, going towards the Premier League. And a lot of that money has been coming in the last six, seven years since the NBC deal. Uh, There's just a huge wealth gap right now between the Premier League and the rest of Europe uh, when it comes to, you know, annual revenue. And, you know, COVID is going to, take its toll on that but ultimately i mean we we saw tv's deals that were being signed this year with Serie a and la liga you know this companies are still paying a lot of money for this you know even after the covid pandemic and i think you can only expect the premier league to keep going up as well it, it just it it makes it funny like when united because united fans are the most pessimistic bunch in the world that they just look for reasons to discount their own team or something that we see it i mean we saw it last year when they were playing bruges and they were oh bruges are their second place in a good league that's not the worst league in the world and they haven't and it's like that league's terrible united could be the sixth best team in england they are better than every team in that league and bruges okay yeah we we put out reserves and got a 1-1 draw and then they came to old trafford we put out Odie and igalo and we beat them five nil and the same thing this year oh real sociedad are tough. No, Real Sociedad were at the top of La Liga because Barcelona and Real Madrid got off to slow starts, and then we put we went on the same pitch as them, and they were they weren't a match for us. Yeah. They were I mean, no Se- match. And even Sevilla AC were Milan, in the title race until like the last couple of weeks of the season. Even AC Milan were 
we didn't even have our full strength squad out there. And it was obvious they, they were not on the same field as us. Yeah. I, I tweeted at some point this season that Man United would win Serie A. And I think, you know, Inter Milan with half their team of Premier League rejects. Man United uh, did win. Uh, yeah, they would walk to Serie A. <laughs> but Arsenal can win Serie A. <laughs> yeah. But Juventus has Ronaldo. <laughs> <laughs> and, they, and they barely qualified for Champions League. How funny would that have been if it was like, all right, Cristiano, up you get. Time to play Thursday night Champions League. There were so, I mean, there were so many outcomes that could have happened yesterday that would have been amazing. And so funny. Somehow, I mean, Chelsea played their part. They look. I know that fans aren't going to like what I have to say here, but I could care less about Liverpool being in the Champions League. We're not going to play them in the Champions League. If we do, that means we've made it far enough that whatever I the funniest scenario for me would have been Chelsea falling out of the Champions League would have been Chelsea losing the FA Cup final falling out of the Champions League and then losing in the Champions League final and not being in the Champions League next summer after spending 200 million and firing your manager bringing in the guy that everybody's like oh that guy's gonna turn them into title contenders and it's hi enjoy the Europa League next year and they did their part they didn't even beat Aston Villa but Tottenham had to go and screw it up for everybody but there were a lot of scenarios that were that would have been really funny Napoli they didn't they screwed it up for for everybody by getting by allowing Juventus to come in at least Lil held on and won League Un. What might be funny still is if UEFA pursue punishment against the three clubs that are still trying to, you know, form the Super League. So I think Juve are still one of them. But, they are. Uh, yeah. But that's like, at least they qualified for it. And it would be, yeah. it would still be funny if like the Premier League comes down hard on, on City because they're still in court over financial issues. And if the Premier League comes down on them and then UEFA somehow like, cause remember City aren't even supposed to be in the Champions League this year. Yeah. So somehow UEFA finds a way to take that away from them. If if they win the Champions League and then UEFA takes it away from them, that would be hilarious. They, they spent the like transfer USC. window yeah, buying the best lawyers. <laughs> it's like USC losing their title after Reggie Bush got busted. Right. He's so good. That, actually, that's my preferred scenario. I now want Manchester City to win the Champions League so that way it can be taken from them. That would be so funny. I'm going to... Uh, cut that audio clip and then use that to slander you if I ever need to. <laughs> <laughs> I want Manchester City to win the Champions League. And then you, you're, uh, that's all you get cut yeah. out. So I, I think, I think I'm leaning towards Chelsea just because that Band-Aid's already been ripped off. I really don't want Man City ever winning the Champions League, but you know. Chelsea fans are, they're so annoying. We're, we're, we're at the point right now where I think the best case scenario is if the stadium collapses. Yes. Chelsea fans are very annoying, and there's a there's an unfortunate group of United fans who will be like, well, this happened to Chelsea because United didn't fire Solskjaer and, and hire Tuchel when they had the opportunity to. Were we ever, ever interested in Thomas no, Tuchel? No, we were never interested in firing Ollie because, you know, like we're building stuff, and Tuchel co- – and, and they'll be like, well, Ollie doesn't have the set – playing style and Tuchel comes in and gets them playing possession football in two seconds. Yeah. You could do that when you have Mateo Kovacic and N'Golo Conte and um, Jorginho Tuchel and whoever else they have in, in midfield. You try playing possession with McTominay and Fred who can't pass, who can't complete a pass to a guy wearing the same color shirt as them. Um, yeah. 
I mean, look, Ollie's already got a couple wins over Tuchel, and he probably should have three if Cavani was in midseason form and um, or if Marcial you know, just finished it, yeah, <laughs> or if, if or Bruno Rashford mysteriously hurt. If Paul Pogba wasn't mysterious, fans fans were calling. Remember, fans were calling for Pogba's head before that 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 RB Leipzig game. They did, they didn't want him getting on the plane. No one will acknowledge the fact that if if Minorella keeps his mouth shut and Pogba starts that match, United are probably in the Champions League. And who knows yeah, I mean, where they are at this point? He I, came I'm on not going to. We almost came back with 15 minutes left. Yeah, I'm not going to go ahead and say that we'd be in the final. I don't think we would be. We'd probably have screwed it up somewhere, but. If it weren't for Mino opening up his mouth, Pogba's in the 11, and we're, we go through to the next round. Everybody who said, oh, he, should never, he shouldn't even board the plane, no one, you know, they quickly changed their tune to it. Wow, Ollie failed miserably. But there are people that will say that, um, that, oh, Chelsea got serious and moved on from Lampard and hired a real manager, and United are still sitting here waddling their toes or yeah, waddle, waddling their fingers. There is also the element that everything that City does is you if you remember back to the beginning of the decade when City got good, they won the league on the final day of the season. And what'd they do the next year? Nothing. They they spent the entire season looking like we won. Who cares? This was what we were brought in to do. I none of those players had a connection to the city. They were all high paid mercenaries and it was you wanted us to win, we won. And then they managed to win it again the year after, and the following year again, the, the title defense was nothing. They, they've only managed to get a multi-year motivation under Pet, And all of their motivation now is about winning the Champions League. And that's all Pep's motivation. We, we all sat here and we said, I don't know how much longer Pep is going to be at City. And we were all surprised when he signed that extension. But mm-hmm. he is so motivated to win the Champions League at City, maybe, maybe without Messi, that if he does, what happens next? And so long term, I think if City win the title, win the Champions League, I think that might long term be better for everyone else. Yeah. Well. You know, hopefully it would be better for everyone else, but right. I don't know. Look, I'm not, I'm not saying that I want City to win the title, <laughs> win the Champions League, because I don't. Oh. Uh, I, I described it to somebody yesterday as there is not a single outcome other than the game not being played. There's not a single outcome to this final that will make me happy, but there is not a single outcome to this final that will make me mad. Yeah, that that is true. Um, all right. Well, speaking of European finals, uh, we're going to take a quick break and then come back with a brief, uh, preview of Manchester United versus Villarreal in Gdansk. So stay tuned. And welcome back. Uh, so the Europa League final on Wednesday, Manchester United will Gdansk the night away with Villarreal. Um, how are we feeling about this? I, I think a lot of uh, a lot of the news around Maguire is that he won't go, is what uh, Solskjaer is saying, but I'm inclined to believe that that means he will go. Well, if, we, if we're looking at worst-case scenario, how do we feel uh, not having Maguire 
on the back if if the worst case scenario happens. It's a problem. It's a big problem. Yeah, I mean, you mean, you mean the guy who started like 80 straight games for us and has been our captain, uh, him not playing in the biggest game of the year is a problem, you'd say? Yeah, it, it's not just that, though. It's uh, we got to move the ball, and we don't do that with Harry Maguire off the pitch. When you start, when your team is built around playing out the back and building from the back, if you're not building from the back, you're not doing what uh, has to be done. And it makes it really difficult to get the ball to the players you want to have the ball in dangerous areas. That was what undid us against Fulham. Yeah, and I'm thinking that, you know... One of our three healthy attackers right now, so Rashford, Cavani, and Greenwood, I think one of them is going to start on the bench, and we're going to play that Pogba on the left with McFred um, to get going. And if that is the case, we definitely need Maguire. We definitely need those forward-passing defenders, but we also need that comfort, you know, whenever Villarreal get in the attack, that we're going to be able to clear the ball. Um, it, it's been kind of chaos watching Ollie have to experiment with Lindelof, Axel, and Bayi the last couple of weeks. And uh, I'm, I'm significantly less confident that we would win if we don't have Maguire. Yeah, it's, it's a matter of you have to keep a clean sheet. You, I just... Uh, I forgot what I was going to say. But... <laughs> um, oh, no, I was going to go back to, at, to... With Colin's point, yeah, I... When it comes to Maguire, I thought right from the get-go, like, okay, they'll just keep him out for the next three weeks, and he'll play in the final. And I was pretty optimistic about that right up until probably Friday when when Ollie said he was doubt, you know, doubtful for this match. Because Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer, has, there's, he has a lot of Ferguson traits about him and his press conferences and the way he handles things and the misdirection that he likes to throw. Injury news is not one of them. Is we've always liked to say um, that they're, you know, oh, he's playing mind games the way that Fergie does. But whenever he says that Paul Pog was picked up a knock and uh, he hasn't trained and we, and we try to go, oh, he's playing mind games, Paul Pogba doesn't play. And when he says Anthony didn't train, Martial doesn't play. We heard him say, what did we hear? We heard him say after the City match that Martial and Shaw had to face last-minute fitness tests to be cleared to play. They were racing to get fit. We never heard prior to that that they were even hurt and that they were even doubts. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we're hearing it, it just makes me think, yeah, he's not gonna be he's not gonna be fit. I always telling the truth here and he's he's telling it how it is. I have seen crazier. I have you know, we've seen Wayne Rooney show up to Old Trafford on crutches and be in the starting lot. If Harry Maguire I, Harry Maguire is walking, we saw that picture last week heading into the premiere of the Sir Alex documentary, and he was walking and Solstar said he's walking but he's not running yet. He is a guy that had a bad hip last year and he took an injection to kill the pain and he played through it. And I think he'll do the same thing. If you can get a pain killing injection in your tendon, 
he'll do it. And if I don't worry about Harry Maguire's match fitness, he's a center back and the guy's not exactly fast to begin with. If Harry Maguire can go out there and run and cut on the pitch beforehand, he will play. And he'll play fine. And if that ruins his Euros, so be it. I, I don't care. <laughs> if he can't, then, you know, he won't play. But if, if if we get to the point where we have 60% Harry Maguire and Maguire saying, no, I'm good, I'm good, he's going to end up playing. Maybe that hurts us the way that Harry Kane hurt Spurs in the Champions League final, maybe. But the alternative is you have a defense that can't pass forward. And you have midfielders who struggle to do that also and against Fulham the touches from Cavani Bruno Pogba Greenwood especially all came deeper up the pitch we had the same number of touches we had the dominance in possession we didn't have the same number of touches in the final third we didn't have the same number of touches in the box because everybody was dropping deeper to get the ball because the other team was focused on Lindelof. Fulham were focused on it. They were like, you're not going to pass out. you got to give it to Axel. And Axel wasn't making those passes. And at the end of the day, if Maguire can't go, it's going to be Axel Tonzebi next to Victor Lindelof. And he doesn't pass forward very well. Mm-hmm. And if everybody's got it, which means you need to have Paul Pogba playing on the left side so that someone can drop deep, whether it's Pogba or Bruno Fernandez, someone's got to drop deep and then someone's still got to be up the pitch to create. If, if you want to play Rashford, Greenwood and Cavani, that's fine. And then after 65 minutes, you'll, you'll realize all three of them are now tired and none of them have gotten the ball yet. So you need to have that extra player in there that can drop deep, but you don't want them dropping too deep. You don't want Pogba dropping all the way back. So Bruno's now in the number 10 spot, except he's still at, you know, the middle of the pitch. And when he gets it up to Cavani, he's still nowhere near the the final third. So everything needs to shift more forward. I I wrote about it this morning, but I, the tactically the best way to go about this game is Edinson Cavani is the, one player on this team right now that deserves to start this game more than anyone else, he needs to be the one to come off the bench. Yeah, so you would have Rashford and Greenwood in that front too? Yeah, I'd, I'd have yeah. Rashford and Greenwood doing that thing, that hybrid thing where Rashford starts as the striker and Greenwood's on the right wing, and then, and then the next time you look up and Rashford's on the left wing, Greenwood's down the middle, and either Pogba has switched sides or Bruno's gone, off, gone over to the right and Pogba's the number 10. And just do that and, and kill some time. You, yeah. It, this is about shortening the game. It's it's like in – sorry for the cross-sport reference, but in, in the baseball playoffs when they talk about if we could just get to our shutdown bullpen in the 7th, 8th, ninth inning and make it a 6-inning game. It's about shortening the game. You you will then bring on Edinson Cavani 60 minutes in, 45 minutes in, 60, 65 minutes in against a team with with tired legs. And Edinson Cavani having fresh legs against that is a huge advantage. The alternative is starting from, with Cavani on the pitch and saying, well, we're going to go with our best to try and, and, and get out to a lead and then hold it is what, what if you don't? Because they've got fresh legs too, and they're ready to, to handle your punches. And if they handle your punches and absorb that and you tire yourself out, what do you do next? You have nobody to go to. Marcus Rashford and Mason Greenwood – are not game changers off the bench. 
So now you've tired yourself out, and God forbid it goes. Edinson Cavani, the only time he's been able to play 90 minutes is if we have a lead, really. Or he played 90 against Wolves and against Burnley, but he was ineffective for the full 90 minutes in those games. And it was Rashford and Pogba that won those games. He's played 90 recently when we've had leads, and he's just focused on holding that lead for the last 20 minutes. In the games where it's been level, he's had to come off. He can't make it 90 minutes because he's like, I don't play him. He's 34 years old. It's the end of the season. His legs just can't go for that kind of time anymore. But if you bring him on in the 65th minute, if we have to go to extra time, you you, you could still have your best striker on the pitch there. So uh, it's, it's really, it's just, it's game management. If, if you look at, you know, Manchester United's, I guess, only must-win Europa League fixture this season, it was that second leg against AC Milan. And that's kind of what he did with Paul Pogba, where you knew that you had somebody who could come in and directly influence this game, and he was willing to keep him in his back pocket uh, to see how the first half goes, to try to feel the game out. And it, it was tense because AC Milan got that last goal in the first leg, but Ollie also had in the back of his mind that it, it took a you know chaotic, scrambly set-piece goal in the last minute for AC Milan to even still be in this tie or to have the advantage going into the second leg. Um, so... You know, maybe that will be on Ollie's mind. Uh, yeah, he's been doing it for most of the season, for most of the recent part of the season against Villa. He left Cavani on the bench, Burnley, and at times Villa, we were down one nil, but that did not mean oh we're not playing well. We don't need, and he did not go to Cavani. And within what seven minutes of the restart, it was two one. Mm-hmm. And against Burnley, he did because Fred, you know, at Burnley was we don't need Fred and McTominay in the middle here, but this way. It's nil-nil, and I only have to use Cavani for 45 minutes. And we won that game. And he was – had the Liverpool match been played when it was originally scheduled to be played, Cavani was on the bench for that. When when we've started with Cavani, we've gotten off to hot starts against Liverpool and against Fulham. And and then we've – even against Roma in the second leg, but then we falter in the second half. And when we're faltering and we need to – stop the bleeding or we need to change it there's nothing you know there is nothing Marcus Rashford looked like against Leicester like he didn't want to be on the pitch against Fulham he looked like he didn't want to get involved in the game and he didn't Mason Greenwood has scored big goals off the bench but they all came last year uh his three goals this year off the bench were the third goal against Luton Town the sixth goal against Roma and the third goal against Tottenham he hasn't exactly been coming off the bench and getting equalizers and winners. He's done it when he's started matches and gotten mm-hmm. late goals, but he's not that game changer off the bench. When you bring Cavani into the match, whether it's whether you're replacing Rashford or Greenwood and leaving Pogba in that front three, or you're replacing McTominay or Fred and moving Pogba, you're still changing the, the focal point of the team and how the team looks and how the team plays. It's a change. And that's something that the opponent has to adapt to. Yeah. And I, I think maybe should be noted Villarreal, you know, spent a lot of time in their two legs against Arsenal holding on. Um, they were okay sitting on that lead in the first leg. And then when they went to Arsenal, uh, obviously in the second, you know, they played out a very nervy finish. So you know, maybe we see a similar case where they try to hit us early and then we spend a lot of the game trying to get back into it. You know, we've spent a lot of time <laughs> this season doing that anyway. And Villarreal, uh, 
this is this is what the other what we've been doing recently against the likes of even Spurs. We've been sitting playing within ourselves in the first half. If you look at the numbers, how many shots we take in the first half versus how many shots we've been taking and allowing in the second half. We allow more shots in the second half, but of the same bad quality. And it's only because we open it up and we take so many more shots ourselves. We're basically absorbing your punches in the first half. We're letting we're letting you come and hit us, but you're you're throwing a bunch of jabs, and we're just absorbing them, absorbing them, absorbing them to tire you out. And then in the second half, we start hitting back, and then we bring on our the big guys to to throw some knockout punches, and you're too tired to handle it. In these games where we've been the Liverpool's, the Fulham's. Some of these other games where we've we've come at you from the start, it's like we're throwing knockout punches at the start of the match, and they have enough energy to withstand those, and then we get tired. So mm-hmm. Villarreal do not have a knockout punch in them. So come out and take their jabs, take them, and and then unleash them. And and I I know that Cavani's the United's best forward. He's their informed player, and no one deserves to start this match beforehand. But a cup final is a different, it's a different animal. You have to pick what is best for this one particular match. Uh, Ji Sung Park was left off the team out of the squad completely in, in 2008 because we were playing Chelsea and it just didn't fit. Had we been playing an Italian team, Ji Sung Park would have been the 11. Yeah. Had uh, we been playing Arsenal, he would have been in the starting 11. Yeah. But we were playing Chelsea. Different. It's a different um, case. And look – in a way, Cavani's the victim of his own success here, but the one person who would really know what Cavani is going through and be able to explain this to him is Ali Gunnar Solskjaer. Yeah. Um, so just got an update from The Athletic that Maguire was named in the final squad, so he's going to be traveling to Gdansk uh, despite his injury. So hopefully positive news there. I, I would think um, even if he does, he would still travel no matter what because yeah. at the end of the day, yep. he's team captain. Well, like, what does true. that mean? What does that mean, like, you're in the like in the squad well, they, or just in the take... traveling party? Because, like, Zlatan and Luke Shaw, yeah. like, we, we've Zlatan seen those definitely... pictures of them in their suits, like, well, yeah, on crutches. Well, yeah, you can only have 18, like, match day squad members, right? Right, but 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 we've, we've named larger traveling squads before. Like, there are times where, uh, what was it, against... Not Villarreal, but somebody like Villarreal in Mourinho's final Champions League, like when Mason Greenwood traveled with the team. Like there are times where we take like 20 people to a European match. Mm-hmm. It's like we're taking a squad of 20 to travel with us and then 18 make the match day squad. So what exact is is Harry Maguire just traveling with the team? Because I would expect everybody, you know, this is like it's like a bowl game where everybody's on the bench in their jerseys. <laughs> I expect everybody to be in within the traveling party to go or is it like in the squad that might be named for the match day squad so it's the 26 man traveling squad and i guess this season you have like what 10 people on the bench or something like that i think you could have nine but 26 man traveling squad means 26 people are traveling and it means nothing right well mr mcguire if you're simply traveling to gdansk for a vacation and to lift a trophy please don't go to any bars Please avoid Polish police. Longgate, Schwartzieri are also traveling with them. You can name a match day squad of up to 23 players. Yeah, just hang out in your hotel if you're not playing. So basically anyone who has put on a red shirt this season is probably amongst the traveling party, except for Hannibal Medry and Phil Jones. 
Are, are well, we expecting Will the Flying Fish to make it to Poland? No, he's, he's not in the 26-man squad. Oh, that's too bad. So, uh, Nathan, he's before we fish. get out of here, um, we all expect the vibes to be pretty high if we win this. What are the vibes if we lose, uh, oh. despite having finished second? Oh, dude, the vibes are not great. I mean, honestly, like... I think I think this is this is either the cherry on top of like us improving or I think a lot of people as inappropriate as I think it probably would be you're going to have people pull out the pitchforks if we don't win on Wednesday because the it's the same crowd that's have been knocking Ollie for you know not getting out of semifinals now that we're in a final if we don't deliver that first one it's going to be the very loud vocal minority of people who don't like Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer that will, you know, flip out. Whereas the rest of us level-headed people will just be like pretty disappointed. Cause I, I, at the end of the day, like I don't think second place matters as much in the immediate, you know, moment just because like we are going to have to contend with the, you know, a cut loss, which mm-hmm. sucks. It doesn't feel good. So um, it, it's, it, I, it, that's that's my that's my vibe analysis. Like it's either gonna be really good because we'll have a cup, uh, we'll have guaranteed Champions League two different ways. Uh, Ollie will have his first trophy. I don't see why we don't definitely don't get Sancho at that point where it's just like all right now come be part of like our Champions League thing. Um, and if we you know if we don't win then it's just gonna it's just gonna feel bad, man. It just feels bad. We don't. And the, the manner yeah. in which you don't win is also gonna hurt because if you don't win because your defense can't get the ball forward and you end up with Bruno Fernandez running around trying to do everything and getting frustrated. It's going to look like a bad performance and they'll find a way to blame everything, even though just look at the root of the source. If you can't push the ball up quickly before Villarreal have set their defense and established their block, you're not going to have success. And if your defenders are only passing to the fullbacks or to their center midfielders who are then themselves only passing to the fullbacks. It's going to be slow. It's going to be labored. And that's going to be harsh. If if you, they played Sevilla off the park last year, they should have won that match, but football Mm -hmm. and ultimately no win is going to come around there. It'll suck. If, if you lost because Maguire's not in there, it'll suck if you if you lost because you just didn't finish and they had one half chance that they finished. They need to just go and win the match. Win the match. Yeah, just yeah. just go get the fucking dub, boys. Like, I mean, so you know, sometimes we, we make it too complicated, man. Just go play some soccer and win, you know? Like, it's not a hard sport. You know, if you don't win, though, back of the net. if you don't win, the one silver lining to not winning is... Colin talked about this weeks ago as to why we have to win is to get yourself into pot A in the Champions Uh-oh. League draw. Well, uh, now PS, now PSG, Real Madrid, Barcelona, they're all in pot B. Yeah, so, all those teams suck, though, this year. So They, also, <laughs> they might be better next year. You know, if, yeah. if, I'm definitely if, not worried about no Paris Saint-Germain. If PSG sign a manager that, that goes, oh, shit, I've got really good players. Maybe I should do more than counterattack. They might be... Decent. Barcelona came on very strong in the second half of the year. Real Madrid, you got questions about. I wouldn't. I'm not scared about drawing Real Madrid next season. Real Madrid is is Poch for sure out at PSG. There's not for sure out, but there's rumors that he is not happy there because the last because the the last thing we need is losing a cup final with Poch back on the market. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I can't can't take a whole summer of that. 
Potts, Although, Potts, really six entered, PSG. Potts took over PSG, and they were, what, one or two points out of first place in La Liga, in Ligue 1, yeah. and uh, he didn't win Ligue 1. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't win the Champions League. He took a team with Di Maria and Di Maria, who's really good and not even close to the best player on their team because they have Neymar and Mbappe, and said, oh, I know how we can go into the Champions League. Let's just counterattack. And when they showed up to play Manchester City, they looked a lot like Ollie's United against Manchester City. And then they got one goal and Potch went, cool, let's sit on this for the next Three and a half halves of football. And guess what? City picked them apart and beat them. Yeah. Yeah. Pots don't win trophies either. Um, all right. That's the cup. Congrats. You won You won the Community Shield of France and you won the cup France. because, you know, there's nobody else in France that can compete with you. Uh, so that's going to do it for us today. Um, we'll be back after the final, either immediately after the final or the day after the final. Uh, depends on how we are doing, I guess. <laughs> um, both, you know, dealing with either a win or a loss. Um, but, yeah, we'll see you next time. I've been Colin. Manchester United, just go get the fucking dub. Yeah, do that. That sounds like, uh, what's that Canadian show? Pretty sure uh, I heard Ted Lasso say that. Go get the fucking dub. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That Canadian show where they have the hockey bros. And they're just, you're that you're just talking sounds about like Letter Kenny? Yeah. It's like, let's just go get that fucking dub, boys. <laughs> fucking get it into her buds. <laughs> no. I'll <laughs> <Now Peter's> saying. <laughs>